I was not at the office this week. I hesitate to say that I was off because the honey-do list is long, and so I was busy, and I was working, but uh, um, very thankful for the, the group of men that the Lord has blessed us with as uh, elders here at the House of Prayer. And this morning, um, Larry Schreiner, one of our elders, is going to be bringing the word. Thankful for uh, Larry and his wife, Sandy, if you haven't met them before. A great couple to get to know, but Larry's one of our elders, uh, Sunday school teachers, on the men's ministry board, does a lot of things, and uh, great to have you with us this morning. You're always with us, but great to have you here teaching us this morning, Larry. So once you come, I'm going to pray for you, and uh, we'll look at his word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for Larry. Thank you for uh, just the godly men and women that you've blessed this church with, Lord. And we just ask that as, as we open your word together, that you would teach us, that you would show us truth, uh, that we'd have a better understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. And Jeff, I thank you for honoring me in this way that you trust me to be able to bring God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit into the lives of these wonderful people. So be, be prepared to receive. Um, let me just get a little bit organized here, which as Sandy will tell you would be a little bit unusual for me to be organized. You know, um, I don't know about you, but if you have complete control over your life or not, but I find sometimes I allow things to take control of my life. And one of them is I'm holding in my hand. I hear the mumbling going on out there. I, I, I hate to admit this, but I could be talking with friends or family, and, and all of a sudden I find myself checking a text in mid-sentence or an email. And even worse than that is that I'll be in the middle of a devotion, and I'll receive a phone call, and guess what? I'll pick this up, push my Bible aside to take the phone call, honoring whoever is calling me above honoring my God. How do we overcome that? How do we keep our priorities straight like the Lord would want us to do? Where we keep his priorities above all others? Well, first of all, I think you have to make a determination that I am going to make God first in my life. I have a little demonstration here to help us understand that a little bit better. And I'm going to tell you a story as I go through this. Number one is that all that's in here is rice. And you notice there are all kinds of grains of rice in there. And that represents all the things in my life that I want to accomplish. I want to get things done, fixed, and, and so forth. So my life is moving smoothly along. Now over here, these golf balls represent the priorities God has for my life. And too often I push those over there so I can take hold of these. For example, Sunday afternoons, Sandy and I love to have lunch together with our son Craig. And at that time, we, after everything's done, we clean up the dishes, and, and I head off to my study so I can prepare for the Bible studies that Sandy and I lead, and also uh, prepare for Sunday school and do my devotions. Well, you know what? There was that Sunday where I started off to my um, office, but all of a sudden it came to mind that, hey, there was an item that I needed to take care of out on the deck. And so I used just a little bit of time away from the Lord for that. And when I went out there, guess what? I noticed that on the, on the deck was leaves. 
And me and my blower do not like leaves. In fact, I love blowing leaves. Anyway, so I said, okay, it's only going to take a few minutes. So I said a few minutes, and I, I did. I, I got rid of those leaves. And then I went out with joy in my heart. I noticed that my whole driveway was full of leaves. And that was going to rain now. If it's going to rain, then those leaves will become slick. And when I, 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 people will have difficulty along with myself to get up and down the driveway. So I said, we got to take care of the leaves. So I get the blower and move, move along down there. Take a little bit of time. Well, guess what? It was a lot of time. And in the process of doing that, I, I put my blower away and I said, okay, God, it's, a, it's time for you. But then I noticed on the end table as I was going to my office, a magazine was open and I had read a portion of that article and I really enjoyed it. I said, Lord, I'm just going to take a few more minutes and read that article. Well, that Sunday, there was an activity here at the church that Sandy and I were participating in. So there was a time limit that I had to be back at church and I'd already filled up almost more than half of my time with my things. I said, okay, God, it's your turn now. Go ahead and tell me what you want me to do. He said, well, remember, you need to make that phone call to that individual that was missing from Sunday school. You need, need to let them know that they were missed. And you need to also write that note of thanks for those who have ministered in your life. And also remember that one person that needs to have a word of encouragement. Make sure you send that note off. Oh, and then there's getting the prayer list out for the Sunday school class so they know what the prayers and praise were in Sunday school. And I said, okay, now it's time for devotions. And all of a sudden, I found that I was out of time. It was time to get my stuff together again and get back in the car and head back to class. And God said, what about these? I said, I'm sorry, God, but I had things to do and I, I, I wanted to get them done. And and he said, yeah, but what about these? Well, Sandy had a devotion that week that um, really changed my Sunday afternoons, our Sunday afternoons. And this is what it was. Go ahead and put up that first that Exodus scripture. And look what it says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Are you going to read the rest of this with me? Hold on. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be what? Do you think God is serious about the Sabbath and keeping it holy? I'm sure... So I said, okay, Lord, let's go a redo. You gave me another Sunday to try to do what was right in, in, the, in your presence. So I still had all the things that I would want to accomplish. Still had these. But instead of putting these into my life first, I actually started putting the things of God into my life. And all the things that he had put into my mind through the power of the Holy Spirit, through my spirit, I started to do. And guess what? Yeah, it was filling up and it was doing good. And all of a sudden, I looked at this. I said, God, at the end of my time with him, the end of my devotions, end of my preparation for the week, I said, Lord, you just filled me up 
what am I going to do with all this? How am I going to get this into my life if, if you've already accomplished this? And then he reminded me of uh, Romans, what was that scripture? Romans, oh, 828, yeah. He says, and we know that for those who love God, yeah, I love you, God. And he said, all things work together for good. That's great because I need all these things to work together. For those who are called, I'm called according to his purpose. Are you called to his purpose? Are you, are, are you a one who loves God? Then he said, trust me. Start doing the things that you want to do after you've done the things I've called you to do. And so I did. And all those things that I had on my heart to do throughout the next week, if I did my devotions first, when I first got up, would I have to get up a half hour earlier? Yes. Would I have to get up a half hour earlier even if my first appointment was at 6.30 in the morning? Yes. But when I did that, I found that all things work together for good. And I was, oops, not all there. And I found that I could accomplish everything that was on my to-do list after I completed everything on God's to-do list. God always has and always will have a plan for his creation. And this is one of the focuses of this morning is to discover what is God's plan for your life and for my life. And how do we find that out? And so if we go to John 17, 1 through 4, I think it is. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. See, God, Jesus knew exactly where he was in God's timeline. How, how sensitive we are, are we to God's timeline for your life and for my life. To know that I am and you are right where we should be doing what he wants us to do. And then it goes on to say, since you have given him authority, Jesus over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Let me just rephrase that a little bit. For all those that God is going to place in my life, all those that are going to, God has placed in your life, are you going to be faithful to them to bring what God wants you to bring to them so that they will receive the salvation that is theirs? And then it goes on. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then it goes on and says, I glorified, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Can I say that? Can you say that? That I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do? Now I ask you, for what purpose has your hour come? For what purpose has God brought you into this world in order for you to be uh, an instigator of his will into the lives of those that surround you? I want to go to Romans 16, 25 to 27. And it says, now all glory to God who is able to make you strong. I'm glad that he makes me strong because in my own I am weak. 
Just as my good news says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles. Revealed, okay. A plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But, I, but now, as the prophets foretold, and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere, so that they too might believe and obey him. Now, I want you to know that if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so this message is for us. And God doesn't just ask us and doesn't ask, would you please do it? No, he's commanding us to bring the message of Jesus Christ, the salvation that's available to all those who believe and receive. He wants us to bring that into the lives of the people around us. This is the point where you and I have to make some priority decisions. Are you going to make your own plans for your life? Are you going to organize and direct your, your life plan? Or are you going to allow God to organize and direct your life plan? You know, that's, that's a big choice. Because if we don't do that, if we don't let God take control of our lives, we're out there doing what we want to do. And guess how, what happens? This is the path that God wants. And this is the path that we start taking. You may be thinking, hey, what about my life? Do you mean I have to give up complete control of my life? Yes. We all have plans. For the young, they plan for the, young, they plan for the future and, and, and work so that they will have a wonderful life in, in retirement. For us that are older and in retirement years, we, have, we are enjoying our retirement because of the plans and the work that we have been able to do throughout our lives. But here's a question I have to ask you. Have you ever, have you ever asked God what his plan is for your life? Think about it. Have you ever asked God in the quiet of the place, gone and said to him, Lord, I want to just know what your plan is for me. And then hush and wait. And if he doesn't speak to you at first, say, God, I'm still waiting. I'm not going to let go of you until I hear from you the plan that you have for me. I don't want to know the plans of others. I want to know me. I want to know. And so many times God will say, I'm not going to give you the whole plan, but I want you to be obedient in that first step that I tell you. Let's look at uh, James chapter 4, 13 through 17. How do you know what your life will be? Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Okay, let me stop there for just a second. Do you know what tomorrow is going to really bring? You may have planned it, but do you know what it's going to bring? Do you know what the next hour is? How about the next second? For those of you who have had a traumatic heart situation, that one moment you're totally well and happy, and the next thing you know, you, you've, you've had a devastating thing happen to your heart. And you find yourself in an ambulance going off to the hospital. So if we don't control the next second, second how are we going to control tomorrow or the years to come? And it goes on to say, your life is like the morning fog. It is here a little while, then it's gone. That's a reality. 
What you ought to say, this is what God wants us to say. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Here's the last sentence. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Warning, this is a dangerous book to read. Because if you read it, you will hear from the word, the word of God and will be placed into your life and you'll know what he wants you to do and when, you want, when he wants you to do it. It's all here. But the moment you read it, you know. And if you know and you don't do it, it's sin. Mm. You know, Jesus knew God's plan from the very beginning. And he worked God's plan. Here's evidence. He, in Matthew 6.10, he is teaching the disciples how to pray. And the first part of his prayer is that um, your kingdom come, your will be done. On heaven as it is on earth. Well, how much of your day and how much of my day am I working for God's kingdom to come here on earth? How much... How much time do I spend for me to make sure that my yard is looking good or, or that, that the things that I want to accomplish are, are there? And then, how about God's will? I put my will way out there. And it's only through the, the testing of the Lord and, and his discipline that I'm beginning to draw back my will and allowing his will to come forth from my life. It's a decision. It's not something that you have to assume is going to happen. No, we individually need to make a decision as to what is the will of God for me. And that's then we look at Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. It says, you're, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which is lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Wow. I tell you, I look at that. What has God lavished upon you? What has he lavished upon me? And am I sharing that with others? If God's will is your top priority, then you need to commit and recommit to following and giving God first place in your heart. But what about this plan that God has for us? Let's go to Psalm 139, verses 13. I love this because it gives me an insight as to what God did in my life before I was life. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Just think about it. God created within you your DNA and all the things that make you who you are, what you like, what you don't like, what you're skilled at, what you're not skilled at. All those things were put together, and it goes on. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. 
And then go on. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. God doesn't need a sonogram to know you before you were born because he actually puts you together within your mother's womb. When you get a hold of that, when you really think about that, that everything that I am, God put me together. And there are things I don't like about myself, like I wish I had a lot of hair. I wish I were about as tall as Jeff. I love those. I would love to be that. But I'm not. And so I dwell on the things that are that I am, the things that are me, the things that that bring me into the presence of God and allow the presence of God to be put into your life. If we focus on that, then all of a sudden we understand the plan that God laid out for us. And you know what? It wasn't like he was doing it by, oh, let me see. Let, Let me tweak Larry just a little bit because today he wasn't doing exactly what I needed. So I'm going to tweak him and, and cause him to do this better than he did yesterday. No. He knows every day to the last moment that I draw a breath. Every day. Every day. God not only has a plan for your life, but he has prepared everything you need to live out your life in his plan. Now there's one more principle. We talked about priorities and making God's will my will and, and, and doing the things, making sure I said God first. But there's something else, and it's so simple, we sometimes sort of blow it off. And that is we need to learn how to rest. Too often we go and get ourselves so busy in the things we want to do and even the things that God wants us to do that we mess up our lives and we become tired, sickly, and have deficit and devastation will come into our life. Let's look at March 6, 30, 31. Jesus was there and the apostles returned from, from their ministry. And, and it says here, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and they told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to, be, to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Have you been that busy in ministry? That all of a sudden it's almost overwhelming? But God, I'm doing your work. Didn't didn't God, after seven days of creation, rest? Let's look at Exodus 34 to 21. Exodus 34, verse 21. And it says, it's so simple. He said, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working even during the seasons of plowing and harvest, even in the midst of what you consider the most important thing in your life. If you're a farmer and you've got wheat in the field and you know it's going to rain over the weekend, the temptation is I've got to get my wheat out of the field. 
But the Lord said, even in the midst of that important harvesting time, you need to stop and dedicate your time to me. What does that represent when I do that? For a farmer who's saying, I've got to get my, my, my wheat out of the field or it'll get rain, it'll mold on the ground. And God says, are you going to trust me or are you going to trust the weather? Are you going to trust me to be able to, to accomplish the things in your life that are important to me? And the answer should be yes. I will trust you, Lord. Because if I'm obedient to your word, if I stop after, after six days of work to honor you with, with prayer and, and Bible study and just dedicating myself to you, if I do that, then you're responsible for the things that need to take place on this earth. Could God not make it rain that next day on Sunday? Yes, he could. Would he let it rain? He certainly would. What I'm saying is that God knows every aspect of your life. And if he knows every aspect of your life, then even those things that might be a tragedy to you will become glory for him. Well, how do we gain this rest? Let's look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 29. It says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Stop. Have you ever carried a heavy burden? The sickness of a child? The accident of an individual that now is laying in a hospital? I can think of those prayer requests that go out over the, every day of the week from our pastors. Those are heavy burdens that somebody's carrying. And so he says, and I will give you rest while you're carrying those heavy burdens. Go on to the next. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at the heart and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know about you, but I remember as a child that if I wanted to really feel comfortable and rested, I could crawl up into my father's lap and into his arms and he could pull me and I could easily just feel comfortably, totally at peace. Even though I had just had something devastating as a small child happen to me. And that's what Jesus is saying, come. When you come into my word, when you come into by the power of the Holy Spirit, when you come into my presence, when you come, I want to hold you. I want to put my yoke upon you because it is easy. And, you, and I love this. I am humble and gentle. I've seen some fathers that when a child is needing comfort and encouragement, they say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. Come on. You can get up. Come on. You don't be that silly person. Just get up and get the job done. Get over yourself. But Jesus is humble and gentle at heart. If you want that word of encouragement, if you want that love, Jesus will give it to you. The desire that you want has to come for, for rest is, has to come from Jesus. But how? If you want to know someone in an intimate way, you need to be intimate with them. 
You need to spend time with them. You need to hear what they have to say. You need to receive what they have for you. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants you to be in his presence, listening to what he has to say to you and taking from what he has for you and receive it and put it into your life. That's rest. Now, put up the next slide and it will tell you that if you desire to know more about how to rest in God, then go to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. I promise you, if you've never read those verses and you ever want to really rest in the Lord, you need to go there because it, it lays it out for you very specifically. Okay, so we talked about priorities. We talked about resting in Jesus. But this is the end of November. And in a few days, what? We're going to be into December. And what happens in December? Everything happens in December. We have parties. We have Christmas lights to put up. We have decorations to do. We have, we have just, I mean, just cookies to bake. And I mean, just tons of stuff to do. But how do we keep Jesus as the number one priority in our life through this busy season that we're about to face? How do we not let that birth of our Savior slip by us? There are a couple of things, and I encourage you to do this, but you have to make a determination, first of all, that this is going to be a priority in my life. Everything that I do, I'm going to enter into fixing my lights, doing, doing the things that Sandy asked me to do to prepare the house. I want to go before Jesus and say, Lord, would you show me how this relates to sharing your life in somebody else's life? How do I do that? Well, a couple of suggestions. What is the priority when you're sitting around the tree with your family and all those gifts are under the tree? What is your priority? Is to open those gifts. Or can you sit back and say, let's read the story of Jesus' birth. Let's not just read a few sentences. Let's, let's really, for our young children, let them know. And you know what? If you have family members sitting around the tree with you and, and your family, then maybe they've never heard the story or maybe it's good that they hear it at least one more time. And what about the, the table that you eat that wonderful Christmas meal at? Do you talk about politics and football games and standings and all that stuff? Or do you take time to relate what Jesus has done in your life? Again, two ways that that works so well. It encourages believers to, to be able to, to receive the things that you've experienced. Say, oh yeah, by the way, I remember that. I remember what God's done for me. And for non-believers, they say, just by the grace of God, might say, how do I get Jesus into my life so I can enjoy what you're enjoying? Well, you've been so patient and so kind to sit with me through this time together that I want to share something with you that I want you to take from here. It's something that it, God gave me, believe it or not, one of those sanctimonious places. I was in my car going off to play golf when this came into my life. I just want to encourage you that at any moment, God can reveal a, a real good truth to you. And what he did is he said, Larry, I want you to take this and I want you to make it a part of your life. That every time that you hear somebody say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or Hanukkah or whatever else, that you reply to them, may the Christ of Christmas be your Savior. 
May the Christ of Christmas be your Savior. Can you imagine that people will say, they don't, nobody else other than the first service knows about this. So you're the first ones basically to go out and share this message with others. Why is it a good message to share? It's for number one is for those who are in Christ already. They'll say, wow, you're right. I got to remember that the reason for Christmas is my Savior. And for those who do not know Jesus as their Savior, maybe, just maybe, they will say, oh, maybe that's what Christmas really is all about. Jesus as the Savior the one who can save me from hell. May the Christ of Christmas be your Savior. Now, I told you I was going to let you cake it out of here, but before I let you do that, I want to make sure you get it, all right? So write it down, put it, get it in your heart, and I'm going to help you do that by this. I want you in your most joyful... Go ahead, worker. Get your mouth all slobbered up, ready to do this. Mm. Now, I want you... To be ready in your most joyful Christmas voice, wish me a Merry Christmas. One, two, three. Merry Christmas. Oh, we're not together. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Merry Christmas. And may the Christ of Christmas be your Savior. Now, I'm going to say Merry Christmas to you, and I want you to return to me this, this, the message that God has laid on my heart for you. Ready? Merry Christmas, y'all. And yours also. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you that you have brought into our lives these words. And Lord, if you would just let us remember as our top priority your will. And if you allow us to remember that we need to have your rest to be able to carry out your will. And if we remember that this season that's coming up is all about you and not about us. Lord, let us put you first in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.